Tuesday edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. And it follows a night last night for the Toronto Raptors where they got a victory on their home floor and they now sit one game below 500 as they head into Brooklyn for the back-to-back tonight against the Nets. And Jonesy, Toronto did what they were supposed to do last night. They took care of an opponent on their home floor. They won it handily after jumping out to an 11-zip lead in the opening quarter. And even though they allowed the Kings to come back and pull within one, they never relinquished the lead. Uh, They led big at halftime, and they continued to just keep the foot on the throat the entire second half, a decisive victory. And to me, what stood out among many things, the second unit, the bench, was big. And we have not said that a whole lot this season. And Jonesy is so blown away by how well the bench played last night that I think his connection may have just dropped. So we will get him into the mix in mere moments as I will tell you about the performance of the bench last night. And at least one guy stood out a little bit more than others for me. But that's not to take away from anybody else in terms of the overall production that Toronto got from its second unit. But the one guy I want to say more than any that stood out was Utah Watanabe. And his career-high 10 rebounds, the double-double with 10 rebounds, 12 points, added a couple of assists and a steal as well. But the bench as a whole put up 53 points last night. And yeah, you can look at it and go, well, Sacramento's bench had 50. I know. I get it. But they also have had success with their second unit this year, at least in terms of going to their second unit and getting scoring from Heald or from Bagley or Mitchell or Jones, etc. Even Tristan Thompson who, by the way, was pretty solid last night in limited time, the Canadian with 11.7 rebounds in the loss. But the Raptors' second unit, we've talked about it many times so far this season. It's been up and down at best, inconsistent to say the least, and they were outstanding last night. Watanabe, Mihailuk, Champagny, Malachi Flynn, who came into the game pretty much because Delano Banton got sick. Banton came in. In nine minutes, had six assists, seemed to be playing with high energy, moving the ball well, and then got sick. And we were told, at least after the ball game last night, he was sent home, Banton, in the second half, wasn't feeling well. The initial report was it was non-COVID related. But again, out of an abundance of caution, he was sent home and he did not travel to Brooklyn last night, will not play for the Raptors tonight against the Nets. But again, even Banton, before he got sick, was a part of that. 53 points off the bench. Last night, nine players in double figures for the Raptors as they shoot 54% and end up beating the Kings by 23 points. And I'll tell you, again, not to diminish the performances or returns from any other player but among the starters the guy that stood out to me the rookie Scotty Barnes with 16 points four rebounds two assists a career high five blocked shots and he was the lone starter on the floor with the second unit many times and the go-to guy offensively, and he looks to me like every bit the part. I mean, I don't know if we can go by a day anymore, especially after a game, without talking about Scotty Barnes. Cause, and I think we said it yesterday. He seems to do – and, and in fact, I know we said it because we talked to Michael Grange about this. He seems to do at least one thing, if not two, five, or ten things, 
at least one thing every game that makes you open your eyes a little bit wider and makes you go, hmm, okay, <laughs> okay. The rookie continues, continues to impress. And I thought he was decisive last night. I thought he was engaged and energetic. He was, he was active on both ends. I loved what I saw from Scotty Barnes. And I'm going to throw this into the mix too. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm becoming like the, uh, the flag bearer for the Pascal Siakam camp. 0 of 3 from distance last night, fine. He had been shooting it pretty well going into last night, by the way. 8 of 15 for 16 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, a block, and a steal. So second on the team in rebounding to Watt Tanabe's career-high 10 off the bench. I'll tell you, folks, and I again, I don't know if it's 10% of the population or fan base, if it's 60%, 70%. I don't know what the number is. But whoever the sum, the sum in the fan base is, I'm speaking to you. I do not understand the, the too, too, I think too far to call it hatred, the animosity, the vitriol that seems to exist from some for Pascal Siakam. I think the guy's been playing pretty well. And at the end of the day, if it simply comes down to people are looking at the money, the money is the money. The money's been paid. The contract's out. We can sit here and argue whether he's a 1A, whether he's a 1B, whether he's a 2, whether he's a 3. At this point, does it really matter? Does it really matter if he's a very good player on your team? And then here's the other thing, too. We've been talking about I know I've brought it up. I think Jonesy might have mentioned it too, but I know I've seen it on Twitter. I've seen it mentioned many times where you look at Siakam and you compare the numbers to the all-star season. And again, some, some in the fan base, especially social media. And listen, you can always text the show too. You don't have to hit us up on Twitter or Instagram or whatever else. You can text us at 59590. We get the tweets, and, and we incorporate them into the show sometimes as well. Siakam this season has played 16 games. So uh, going into last night, and I, I'll admit for you folks, I did not update the number as of this morning. But going into last night's game, Pascal's numbers over the course of the previous 9 or 10 were right in line with his all-star numbers from two seasons ago. And people that wanted to still criticize Siakam or get in the let's rag on, jump on, dump on Siakam camp were saying, oh, you media, you broadcasters, you writers, you whatever, you're just trying to feed the narrative. Do you realize the dude has only played 16 games? So when we talk about a sample size of only 9 or 10 games, Jonesy, we're talking about more than half of his season. We're talking about throwing out the first handful of games when the guy came back after essentially having no training camp off-season surgery, trying to get himself in shape, let alone get down the chemistry and cohesion with his squad, and get himself back into game readiness. I think you'd give a guy, any player, you give Pascal Siakam, LeBron James, Justin Champagny, Steph Curry, a handful of games, five, ten games, to get it right. And now here we are, 16 games played. I think the sample size of the last ten is relevant now. And even if you want to wipe out the sample size and say, 
Let's just look at the numbers total then. Include when he first returned and he struggled. Include it. All right. 16 games this season. Pascal Siakam, compared to his all-star year, is four points less. All right. That's significant. He is more assists, more rebounds, better field goal percentage in terms of twos, better field goal percentage overall from the floor, even though his three-point shooting is down. I'd say that's pretty damn good then. The only thing, the only thing that stands out is four points less. That's it. Free throw attempts per game are pretty much right in line with where they were in the All-Star season. Again, rebounds higher, assists higher, field goal percentage higher. So if you don't want to buy the narrative that you allegedly say the media is spinning by looking at a smaller sample size of 10 games and wiping out the first week or week and a half, fine. I'm talking about the entire season to this point. And Siakam again last night, 16-8 and eight, along with four assists on 8 of 15 shooting. Solid night for him. Solid night for the Raptors. And I repeat again, a chance to move to 500 tonight against the Nets. But, Jonesy, it certainly ain't going to be easy against Brooklyn and how well the Nets have been playing. Well, I'll say this about Pascal. You, you framed it well, Eric, and I will say one more thing to add into the mix. He's coming back as the main guy. He's at the top of the scouting report. It's not like he's coming back and he's your, you know, your fourth option as a starter or he's your seventh man coming off the bench. He's coming back and he is option one or two on the floor. Especially, you know, with, with uh, or may, may, you know, maybe three even if you wanted to go that deep with OG, Fred, and himself on the floor. But he's, he's even then, you would say he's one or two because of what's happened in the past. He would be at the top of the scouting report. So he's coming back from all of that, no training camp, all of the stuff you said, and the uh, his timing is off, all of that stuff, and... He's a number one option. I, I, I wish people knew what went into uh, a scouting report or defensive schemes when a team has not just their guy on the other end. It's different when you know their guy is a potential all-star or a young player or whatever. But when the guy on the other team is a multi-time all-star or NBA champion or, or a guy who's proven that he is a definite number one guy like Pascal who is, you know, NBA, an, an NBA all-team guy. Like the schemes and the way they take the ball out of your hands, double teams come on the catch, they come on the dribble, they only come at certain points of the floor. You have to read all these things too. And oh, by the way, you're doing it without your best timing and plays that you would normally make beating top double teams with a dribble um, giving the ball up in a certain area and and doing other stuff your timing's not there so I'm I'm willing to give the guy a break I am I'm not, I'm not saying I'm I'm letting him off the hook for not playing well because I'm sure he wants to play well he wants to win he's a competitor but uh, there there's a there's a, a modicum of patience that that needs to be applied here I think he's rounding into form. And the one thing you don't see is a lack of effort. 
if a guy's not trying and he's you know he's kind of dogging it or he's he's taking plays off I don't see Pascal take plays off I'm not saying he doesn't make mistakes but he doesn't make mistakes for lack of effort he's trying to do the right thing he's he's playing hard and that sometimes happens so I, I you know what I you know I I, I I love the game, but there's a line that our old our old friend Eric, we're we're coming up on in January. It'll be the nineteenth, uh, eighteenth anniversary of his passing. The former security director for the Toronto Raptors, Bernie Ofstein, and Bernie had a great line when he was coaching me in high school. He said, "Jonesy, he said, kid, basketball is sometimes like church." And I looked at I said, what do you mean, Bernie? And I've never forgotten this line. Many attend, but few actually understand. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, sometimes when people start going off about this and that and who should be drafted or what, it's like, you know what? Um, and hey, we attend church too, and sometimes we don't understand. And I think we've got a leg up on some people. So I, I, I just, uh, you know, uh, unless you're right in there uh, and in the locker room and at practice and talking to a guy constantly, you don't really know all the circumstances. So um, I'm, I'm willing to let Pascal round in the form. Hey, I, I think the Raptors are doing a good job. How would you like to, Eric, and we do this sometimes, how would you like to play woulda, shoulda, coulda? And at 13 and 14 now, have the game back that you were leading for 47 minutes and 50 seconds against Cleveland. Yeah. Uh, and two games against Oklahoma City and Detroit where you had double-figure leads against two of the younger, more inexperienced teams in the NBA. Yep, yep. Uh, just yep. knows. I'm not, I'm not talking about the others. I'm not hey, talking Jones, about other close even, ones. Even when lost. we look at stuff like that, how often do we talk about you know when when we look at free throws and we when you know you see any team? I don't need all of 10, them, right? I, yeah, they missed ten. I don't need all. Give me five. What would the score have been? So even you just mentioned those three games. Give me one. Give me just one. And suddenly yeah. now you're fourteen and thirteen instead of thirteen and fourteen, and you're above five hundred. But hey, anyways, you have a chance tonight to get to five hundred, but it means doing it in Brooklyn against the number one team in the East. Talk about that game and a whole lot more. Joining us, host of the starting lineup on NBA Radio, 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. So he just got off the air and sliding right in with us. Of course, Nets studio analyst as well. Long time covering the Nets and Knicks and the NBA in general, Frank Isola. Frank, thanks for the time as always. Gentlemen, what's going on? All good, Frankie. All good. Frank, um, this game tonight for the Raptors, the, the Raptor fan will look at it and say, all right, good news was, Last night, front night of a back-to-back, you blow it the Sacramento Kings, you win by 23, and most of the starters got rest. A couple of them played less than 30 minutes of action. That bodes well. But that said, as I mentioned, you're rolling into Brooklyn, facing the number one team in the East, and the Nets certainly look pretty damn good, even without Kyrie this year. And then Kyrie posts some cryptic thing this morning on Instagram of him putting on his shoes like he's getting ready to play or something. Where where do things stand, first of all, with Kyrie, with the Nets, with the rumor mill, with the whatever, and just the, the circus, the gong show that is Kyrie and the Nets right now? I don't know. I mean, we all know you know tomorrow's date is when players that were signed during the offseason could be traded. So I would certainly think that that, you know, in theory, could put Kyrie in the mix, you know, as a potential trade target, just, you know, along with Ben Simmons and John Wall and Gordon Dragic up in Toronto. 
you know, a lot of people still think eventually he's going to play for the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, a lot of it has to do with the vaccine. He still hasn't gotten the shot, so that would make him ineligible to play. What I, what I don't get from the Kyrie standpoint, you know, so Kevin Durant was in a great situation with Golden State Warriors, obviously. He decides to leave a great organization with great teammates to come to Brooklyn to play with Kyrie Irving. They basically haven't, you know, they only played a handful of games together. And I get it. It's his choice. If he wants to get the shot, whatever. But, you know, you did kind of make this agreement with Kevin Durant. And you watch what Kevin Durant did the other night against Detroit where he scores 51 points. He plays the 40, plays 41 minutes. Kevin Durant's the kind of guy, he plays both ends of the court. He plays the right way. If he's double teamed, he passes out of the double team. You know, he left Steph Curry to come play with you. And all you've done this year is spend every game on your couch for for the most part. Now, he gets paid for the road games because that was the Nets' choice not to play him on the road. He's not going to get paid for the home games because he's not vaccinated. The whole, the, from that standpoint, the whole thing is a mess because all I keep thinking about is that Kevin Durant left an unbelievable situation in Golden State to come to Brooklyn to play with Kyrie Irving, and they rarely have ever played together. Frank, do you think they're – they're actually going to play together this year. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, could this be the situation where Kyrie, you know, doesn't want to play 82 games? You look at his history, you know, because of injuries and other things. Last year, he goes to the team for two weeks. You know, the idea of him playing at 82 games—that's like climbing Mount Everest. That's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, so already what is it? 27 games or a third of the way in. I mean, if he decided to come back. Uh, tomorrow, you know, I'm sure it would probably take him at least a week before he'd get into basketball shape. So he's probably not going to play uh, in the rest of the calendar year. So, you know, is, does he make it a 50-game season or a 45-game season? I could kind of see that happening. I still think eventually he's going to be back with them. I just think it's a matter of when at this point. Maybe it doesn't happen until March. Who knows? Speaking with Frank Isola, Frank, let me ask you the, the, the dumb question of the day then. Jonesy addressed this yesterday. I, I don't know that I disagree with him, but I want to ask you anyway. Will the Nets ultimately be better with Kyrie, or would they be better moving on from Kyrie and finding whatever trade may be out there to keep the core they've got going that has done pretty damn well without him? Well, the guy is a brilliant offensive player. There's no question about that. And, you know, the he hit the biggest shot in the history of the Cleveland Cavalier franchise when they beat Golden State. If I could get something of value back for him, I would absolutely make the trade because with Kyrie, it's always something. You know, last year it was something. The year before, it's always something with him, whether it's an injury or just whatever mood that he's in, like when he decided not to show up for two weeks and nobody really knew the reason why he wasn't around. So, like I, I've always said, you know, Kyrie, it feels like he's the kind of guy where if the entire league if every player in the league were anti-vaxxers, Kyrie would be the one guy that would say, well, I'm only playing if everyone gets the vaccination. Like, it's just always something with him. And it, it and whatever it is, it usually results in him not playing basketball. So I, I just can't rely on him. So if I can get a deal for him and bring back a couple of serviceable players, because the Nets right now, I'll give them credit for this. They're really not that good. It's hard to believe that they have the best record in the Eastern Conference. Last year's team was better. I think, and, and what's, we know what's going to happen. The Nets must know that they're either going to get Kyrie back or they're going to make some kind of trade for him. And the Nets also know they're in a position when certain players end up getting buyouts that the Nets will be a favorable place for them. You know, Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge showed up 
in Brooklyn that way. But they haven't been great by any stretch of imagination. I think their best basketball is ahead of them. Now, last year at this time, I think they were they came into their 26 game uh, the other night at 18 and eight. Last year they were 14 and 12 after 26 games. And think about how good they were, especially against Milwaukee, until everyone started getting hurt and then they ended up losing in seven games. I think they're going to get better because I think they're going to add players and the whole situation with Kyrie is going to work itself out. Either he's going to be back with the team or they'll make some kind of move to bring in some to bring in players that will um, upgrade the roster. That With you in that sense that it seems like it's always something with this guy and there's always you know, some, some drama around him. So, and, and I said this to Eric, we talked about this yesterday. You're not better without one of your best players. Like if he was there... And, and playing with, with you know, the, the ancillary guys you mentioned, like, you know, uh, uh, not as great Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge, but you got Durant, you got Kyrie. Harden is not playing great this year, but he just needs to be good enough if those guys are going. I, like, I think they're a better team. My question is, if you do decide you're going to move him, what do you think the Nets need? You know, we, we say serviceable players. Okay, do they need... Do they need another shooter? Do they need another playmaker? Do they need more rebounders? Do they need more defenders? What? Who? Like, I look at the trade that the Lakers made that killed them, the Russell Westbrook one, and helped Washington by getting three good parts to fit with Bradley Beal. What are some of the parts you think that could help the Nets? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, a, a guy like Eric Gordon, which I'm, I'm just going to give you players, like a shooter like that would certainly help now. If you look at the Brooklyn Nets, they also don't have Joe Harris. He's going to be out for a couple of months after he had ankle surgery. So then, you know, the Nets, just, you know, you're missing Kyrie Irving and you're missing Joe Harris. You're missing two guys that could uh, score and also can shoot the ball really well from the perimeter. You know, I, I always brought up the example. Now they can't get Malcolm Brogdon because he signed a contract extension, so he's not eligible to be traded. But if you had like a, the combination, say like Malcolm Brogdon and Karis Avert like for Kyrie, like they're obviously individually, they're not as good as Kyrie, but that would, that would certainly help you. And right now the Brooklyn Nets, it's funny, you mentioned Harden. So last year when the three of them were together, uh, you know, they would start the second quarter a lot of times with Kyrie and Kevin Durant on the bench and James Harden with the second group. And they, a lot of times would start the fourth quarter that way as well. And James Harden really liked playing with the second group because then he's kind of the Houston rocket, James Harden, where he's able to score, but he was also setting guys up. You know, there was a moment last year for about a few weeks where James Harden was playing as well as anybody in the league and was certainly in what we love to call the MVP conversation that we talk about ad nauseum. So this year they haven't been able to stagger the minutes because Kyrie isn't there, and I think that's been a bit of a challenge for Steve Nash. So the other day up in Detroit, so think about this. Kevin Durant came out in the second quarter. The Nets were scored by nine. At halftime, I believe they were down in the game, and I kept thinking, well, they're going to have to – What's going to happen when they take him out? They're going to take him out in the third quarter, the start of the fourth quarter. Steve Nash, you know what he decided to do? Left him in. In fact, he, he, he played the first 22 minutes and 55 seconds. He only came out with a minute five to go after he had scored his 51st point and after it was um, clear that the game was over. So they went for, the, they went for a win last night, uh, the, the other night with Kevin Durant you know, playing essentially the entire second half. And now that obviously that has a lot to do with James Harden being there, but both Harden and Kevin Durant have played a lot of minutes because of the situation with Kyrie Irving. And you guys mentioned it. Harden didn't play the other night. Durant with the day of rest. You know, he'll be available tonight. So, you know, Toronto on the second night of a back-to-back is going to get a rested 
Kevin Durant and a really rested James Harden because he hasn't played since Friday night in Atlanta. Speaking with Frank Isola, Frank, you just touched on a little bit with Nash. It's interesting, Jonesy. I don't know about you. I know I know you go back uh, further with Steve than I do. It, 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 even even here in Canada, Frank, it doesn't seem like he gets talked about a whole lot. You, when you talk about the Nets, clearly it's about the players on the floor, not the coach. You're talking about KD and Harden. You're talking about the the saga with Kyrie. How do you think Nash has done in, in terms of trying to navigate and steer this ship, and and just him as a head coach uh, coming off last season? and rolling it into this year with, with just as high, if not higher, expectations? Well, I, I think, uh, you know, Steve, obviously, the, the biggest thing that he has is he's got the relationship with Kevin Durant. And at that that's huge because Kevin Durant is all in with Steve Nash and vice versa. And I think, you know, when they made the choice, you know, to tell Kyrie Irving that they're not going to go with this whole thing of you just playing in the road games, they're clearly not doing that without an understanding from Kevin Durant that he's okay with it. If Kevin Durant had drawn a line and said, no way, this is nonsense. I need, you know, Kyrie has to be able to play just in the road game. So I think the fact that they're on the same page when it comes to that is important. What I like about Steve, you know, Steve, obviously, background in basketball, but he's a big soccer guy. And like a soccer manager, he does a really good job, A, of using his entire roster. He's never, like, married to one starting lineup. You know, you're a guy that, you know, today you might be out of the rotation, and then a couple of weeks later you could be in the starting lineup and you could be playing in crunch time in the fourth quarter. A guy like Blake Griffin, who played really well for the Brooklyn Nets last year after they uh, brought him in from Detroit, has struggled this year. And, you know, he was starting a lot of games for them, and then he went on a stretch where he, he's recorded a bunch of DMPs, and right now he's a bit of a forgotten man. And maybe that has something to do. Maybe physically he's just not there yet. So I, I like the fact that Steve is willing to try anything, and I think that's why you're able to keep your, your players engaged because I think his philosophy is stay ready because I'm going to call on you, and when I call on you and if you perform, you'll stay in the mix. So I think he does a really good job of managing the roster. He has a very good disposition. You know, for a head coach, listen – it's tough being a head coach in the NBA. Sometimes you can tell these guys are thinking, what am I doing? <laughs> this is like, I'm crazy to be taking this job. It's so stressful. It, it could be so nutty. But he's got a very good disposition, never gets too high, never gets uh, too low. And I just think his relationship with Kevin Durant, see, he's lucky because, you know, Kevin Durant loves to play basketball. And you could tell that those 500 days, 500-plus days that he was out after he suffered the Achilles injury up in Toronto – you know, he, I think he gained a greater appreciation for the game and his ability as a player. You know, his post-game press conferences, he's very good with the media. He sits there with the box score in front of him. And, you know, you ask him a basketball question, he gives a really educated answer. He's just a basketball guy. That, that's what I appreciate about him. Like, you know, he does a lot of stuff off the court, which is fine. We know all the players. They all, you know, they all want to have a clothing line and what production company, whatever the case it is. But he doesn't forget what his day job is. You know, there's nothing wrong with being a basketball player. You know, you're going to have your whole life to do this other stuff. So even though he dabbles in this other stuff off the court, when it comes time to play basketball, that's what he's all about. And, that, and that's why he's such a great player. Jonesy? You know, you talk, you talk about, about Steve. And when I, when I think about it, he was like that as – as a player, too. He liked to get everybody involved. He liked to have, you know, the ball shared around. 
Uh, he was always trying to make teammates better. So there's part of me that's not surprised that, as a person, that he's like that as a coach. Uh, th- that doesn't surprise me. And, and and think about it too. You know, you know the guys in Phoenix appreciated everything that he did for them. I mean, oh, a for lot sure. of those guys get paid, whether it was Quinn Richardson or Sean Marion and Amari. Amari was a young guy when he was with Steve, and I'm sure there were times where Amari was probably driving them nuts. But, you know, then Steve is helping out as a, you know, like a part-time coach for the Warriors, and he's around guys like Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and then eventually Kevin Durant, who are all in all the time. And it's got to be a bit of a struggle for him with Kyrie. I'm sure he respects the fact that Kyrie is an individual, but, like, you know, he's he's been around guys who love playing basketball and love competing. And, you know, this, we all know that Kyrie is a terrific player, but that, that, that part of it has to be really frustrating because the Nets really have a chance to do something special here, but it's just always a bit of a headache with Kyrie. It's just always something going on. It has to be incredibly frustrating for Steve Nash when you're thinking, you know, like this could be something where you could win a title. Maybe you could win two titles here and you know what that means to New York, what it means to the organization, what it means to their respective careers. You don't think it would mean something that Kyrie, you would think that Kyrie Irving would be thinking how great would it be to win a title without playing with LeBron James. And you know that Kevin Durant is thinking, all right, I went to the Warriors, I won, and people are kind of saying, well, you joined this super team, which he did, and I'm sure it means a lot for him to win. You know it would mean a lot to James Harden, who hasn't won a championship. It would mean a lot to Steve Nash to win one as a head coach. It's just, I just find it odd that they have a chance to do something really special, and with Kyrie, really for the past two years, he's not always in all the time. Frank Isola, host of the starting lineup on NBA Radio, Nets studio analyst as well, and uh, covering the NBA for a long time. Also author, I want to mention Frank's latest book, The Last Enforcer by Charles Oakley, written alongside Frank Isola. It's available in February, and you can pre-order right now wherever you get your books. So that'll be one I definitely look forward to reading. Frank, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Frankie. I'll see you guys. Take care. All right. Frank Isol again from the starting lineup on NBA Radio, uh, Sirius XM Satellite Radio. We'll step aside for the break. When we come back, an old friend uh, will join us and maybe shed some light on a um, dicey situation that the Chicago Bulls are navigating through with COVID just wreaking havoc with their roster, canceling the Bulls game tonight against the Pistons and Chicago's game that was scheduled for Thursday in Toronto. Chuck Swirsky next on Smith & Jones. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. If you like the show, Smith & Jones, subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review the show as well. Toronto Raptors tonight getting set for the Brooklyn Nets, second night of the back-to-back for the Raptors, and they were scheduled to come back home and host the Chicago Bulls on Thursday before getting set for Steph Curry and the Warriors on Saturday. But because of a major outbreak, of COVID-19 on the Chicago Bulls roster and impacting many people within the organization. Uh, Chicago's game tonight against the Pistons has been postponed, as has Thursday's game that was scheduled again between the Bulls and Raptors. It has been postponed. And to discuss that and a whole lot more, and to actually talk some basketball as well as in the midst of all the uh, COVID issues, Chicago's still putting together one heck of a start to the season. The radio voice of the Chicago Bulls and a longtime friend and, of course, a familiar voice in this territory as well, Chuck Swirsky. Chuck, thanks for joining us today. Eric, how are you? Good to hear your voice. All good, Chuck. And uh, Swirsky got Jonesy with us as well. 
Yeah. Uh, Chuck, first and foremost, how are you doing? And, and uh, you know, fingers crossed for you. Are you uh, ducking and dodging right now? Because it's uh, kind of uncertain times around the Bulls, to say the least. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm, uh, I'm in a situation, let's see, what can I use for basketball terminology? I'm like in a box in one because <laughs> because I'm try, I'm trying to navigate my way around this because like two of our broadcasters, Stacey King, he's had it for nearly two weeks. Bill Wennington tested positive on Saturday in Miami, and so I've got like ten players, two broadcasters, and we all travel on charter, obviously. Uh, and then I'm around them. And so, you know, at this point, so far, so good. I get tested daily. I'm headed to the United Center for a testing in about 90 minutes. And our next game is Sunday, and we take it one day at a time. Uh, Chuck, it's, it just seems that it spirals so quickly, um, especially with, you know, we're not doctors, but with the, this new variant that's come out, um, did you, were there any overt signs for you, like with any of the players, like, like a guy, a guy wasn't playing well, or he just, he just, he wasn't at, at practice all of a sudden, or he wasn't at a game. And it, it just, it just seemed like it went from zero to a hundred with the bulls so quickly. Well, you know what, again, Paul, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. So that's kind of out of my element, but You know, when the Bulls played Philly and Philly, uh, you know, with Tobias Harris and then we played Philly and Joel Embiid went down, then Vooch went down and Vooch missed the West Coast trip and he missed a couple of weeks. And then all of a sudden Kobe goes down and then Javante Green goes down in New York and all of a sudden this thing just spread. And so, I mean, all it takes, I mean, if you look at Philly, Charlotte, Denver, Bulls. Now the Knicks have three players. And, you know, you just you just have to wait. And all of a sudden, you know, like, honestly, here's how information. I find out from Twitter from Woj or Sham. And that's how, because the clubs really don't announce until the injury report what's going on. So, but, you know, the, all of a sudden, you realize, oh, boy, we have, like, two players, then three players, then five players. Now it's 10, 10, Paul. And, uh, yeah. And so hopefully they'll get some players back for Sunday's game. It's been changed. The start time here in Chicago tonight, probably to cover COVID testing with the Lakers. Uh, But it is what it is. And uh, my heart goes out to the players and obviously to those affected, Stacy and Bill, Bill right now is in a transport van from Miami to Chicago. And I speak to him probably a couple, three times a day to make sure he's doing okay. But, I mean, this is really raucous. Have we lost Eric? Uh, Chuck, when, when well, I, I can think tell about... you that we lost him a long time ago. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just, I, was just guilty to... of the, I was guilty of the Paul Jones jinx there. I had my microphone muted while I was just taking a sip connection, of my coffee. Just the connection, Chuck. 
just the connection, Chuck. We do work in radio, and we do know how to yeah. press the button to turn the microphone on. See, see our, the, the key is to have you on mute during the game. No. Oh, wow. 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 Swerve. Kaboom. Hey, Eric, Eric was scheduled to work with me Thursday. Yeah. Because, you know, Bill can't travel. And first, you know, Bill hurt his foot. And then he got COVID, so he's had a tough start to the season. Eric was scheduled uh, to uh, to work with us on the Bulls Network on Thursday, <laughs> and now we have this. So I don't even know when the games are going to be replayed. I I really think maybe that's that that'll be handled down the road. But so there you go, Paul. Well, Chuck, listen. This is what I was going to. This this is what I was saying while I was talking into my muted microphone. Uh, I'm going to repeat what Jonesy said earlier. We're not doctors. We're just three guys sitting around talking. But I'm interested because, at least for our audience as well, you know, we can sit here and debate whether uh, Canada, whether Ontario has overreacted, underreacted, whether they're making the right decisions, the wrong decisions. I mean, that's, that's a debate for a different show on a different network on a different day. But in general, Chuck, how has Chicago reacted? How has Illinois reacted? How are people handling the virus the vaccines, the new variant, et cetera. Because you said a couple moments ago, and you're right, it's kind of, I think we're all at the point where eh, it is what it is. We're all tired of this, but it's also not going away. And it's not going away for the league. So if the league wants to continue to play and continue to have fans and stands and continue to navigate, you're going to have to navigate with multiple players testing positive, multiple players potentially infecting and impacting other players and other teams. And that doesn't seem prudent, but what's the alternative? So it's it's like nobody seems to really have a good answer or a, at least a, a very straight answer because it's ever-changing. Well, absolutely. I mean, the city and the state are doing their best, and all the teams are following you know the NBA guidelines. I mean, listen, Eric and Paul, you've seen how the Raptors handle it with Scott and the medical staff with the Raps and how the Bulls are – I mean, as soon as a player comes off the court – during a timeout or a sub, they're handed a mask. They're given like just a few seconds to, you know, get their, their breath and their wind. And then that mask goes on. And when the players leave the floor going into halftime, mask is on. Mask is on entering the floor to start the third quarter. Mask is on the bench. Mask is on all of us with the exception of broadcasting. So, I mean, we're, we're following this. I mean, the same thing on the road. Uh, the only time I take my mask off is when I'm eating. And, um, and other than that, elevators, uh, if I'm you know, on a bus, it's all masked up. And, I mean, the players are doing their part, the staff, the coaches. I mean, it, it, we've been following this, I mean, just to 100%, not 95%, not 97%, 100%. And, you know, again, this virus is unbelievable. And that's why, you know, you take a step back and you just hope that, you know, your turn doesn't come up when you get that test back and you see something that obviously would affect you and your family and the club. Uh, Chuck, it's changed our world. You know, no question about it. You, you, are, so, you are so right on with that. Um, and, and here's the other thing. To me, when you get back to basketball, and I, I look at the Bulls, and Eric was talking about what a great start they've had. 
I, you know, you know Mark Eversley and, and Arturis, they've done a terrific job with <clears throat> the moves that they made that people didn't think were, well, yeah, they made a few tweaks and well, made a few moves, but, but it's about the chemistry and putting it together, and the team was rolling. And I guess what you can't predict when they come out is how it impacts each guy's body. Like, we've heard players say that they've come out and it's been two weeks, three weeks and these are highly trained, highly finely tuned athletes. They're still feeling the impact of, of you know, not not breathing well and, and feeling fatigued during games. And it's tough to perform, Chuck, when that's happening. Absolutely, Paul. And that's a great point. I mean, well, I have no idea. I'm not even sure the players have any idea because every human body is different. That's the beauty of life. But at the same time, I mean, how do we handle this? How do we handle, you know, okay, um, fine, you're, you're active. Well, you're active in name and in body, but it's one thing to go on a treadmill or get all these tests. It's another to play an NBA game. And so I'm anxious just like everyone else, including probably the players, to see how they're going to respond. I mean, we are not talking, this is the thing the fans have to understand. We're not talking about machines here that all of a sudden you put your uniform on and you're going to get 18 and 8 every game. I mean, you know, these, these players, uh, they're, they're, the, the human element is coming to play with COVID, period. And we need to accept the fact that it's going to take time for these players to rev up again to perform at a level. They're maximizing their skill set. And hopefully they'll do that. Uh, but I'm giving a lot of space to these players to let them grow back into this. Speaking with Chuck Swirsky, radio voice of the Bulls again, the Bulls and Raptors were scheduled to play on Thursday. That game has been postponed. Chicago's next action coming on Sunday. Fingers crossed that they can get healthy and uh, turn this thing around. Even just based on everything you were saying, Chuck, you don't know that when even they are deemed quote-unquote healthy to return, how long does it take for them to respond and kind of get back to that full game shape again? Chuck, putting that stuff aside then, it maybe seems silly to say put it aside because it is such a story and it's such an impact, but prior to this sort of outbreak, Chicago was playing among the best of the best, not just in the East, but in the league. Why do you think it has come together so well, so fairly quickly for this Chicago team? Okay, I'm going to give you three letters. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's about ego. And they have checked their ego at the door. And I'm talking about Levine. I'm talking about DeMar. I'm talking about Vooch. I'm talking about Ball. I'm talking about guys who have a chip on their shoulder because I think they have something to prove. And I think, you know, like DeMar, uh, yeah, I wasn't in Toronto when he was drafted. So this is the first opportunity I've actually had a chance to see him daily like you two did with the Raptors. And I'll, t- I'll tell you what, he, he has an inner strength that I admire so much that he wants to prove to a lot of people who thought he was past his prime or he got too much money all these things were said about him. Paul, you can go back. Read, yeah. read the stories. When the, when the Bulls signed him, they gave up what? They gave him how much? And I'll tell you what, I think deep down inside, uh, it probably stung him. Uh, I haven't talked to DeMar about this. I've read some stories about it. But I think he is proving a lot of people he has a lot left in the tank. And the case of Levine, he has never had one playoff game. 
He's never played in one, Eric. And I think he is tired of this. And he wants to prove to a lot of people he is an elite player. He made the all-star team last year. I think he wants to keep it up. He's only 26. So you've got a guy like Booch who is in Orlando, you know, small market. They went to the playoffs a couple times, really, you know, a pedestrian type of environment. Well, he's in a big market now, and he wants to show that he's worthy of the club giving up two first-round picks. So, And Lonzo, this is third team in five years. A lot of these players have something going on here, and that's why I think they, they got off to a great start. Plus, I think Billy Donovan is a tremendous coach, great and coach. Chuck, that's where I was going. Billy Donovan's been around the league, too. He's He's had the the good fortune of all in one in Oklahoma city coaching superstars and then a young and growing team. He, he, his experience uh, with coaching and coming from the college ranks where you're working with young people and developing them, not only as basketball players, as people, I mean, that's, that's gotta be a huge asset. I mean, I, I love the way the pieces have come together in Chicago. Yeah, you know what, Paul? Here's the thing about his run at Oklahoma City. He had five seasons there, made the playoffs all five years. But during that five-year span, he had to deal with the Durant situation. He had to deal with the Westbrook situation. They make the major trade with Paul George, and and, and I mean, and then you know they lose Paul George. So they had a lot of things going on. It was percolating quite a bit, and he you know he kept his cool. He's really good, as you know, both know, with the media. He says the right things, and he's just so wonderful uh, as a coach. The players love him because he treats them like men. And, uh, you know, you never hear him go off. Uh, He's really composed. And finally, I think, you know, after a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, issues here, I think now the Bulls have become relevant because of the front office with, Arturis and Mark and a ripple effect with Billy and his staff, and they've really upgraded their developmental te- uh, staff. And so I think it's it's all working out. Chuck, we appreciate the time, as always. Uh, continued uh, health, stay safe, and all the best for the holiday season. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. The same to you. Thanks, Chuck. Thank you. Stay there safe. Chuck Swirsky, radio voice of the Chicago Bulls, former voice of the Raptors, and, of course, a long-time, long-time uh, friend of the show and friend of ours, colleague of ours, and, and uh, familiar in this, uh, uh, you know, this, this listening area uh, for, for a long time. So we wish Chuck and the Chicago Bulls all the best. Certainly anxious times, to say the very least, but as Chuck was mentioning to us, hoping to get back on the floor on Sunday after uh, having tonight's game against the Pistons and Thursday's game against the Raptors postponed. And if you had tickets to Thursday's game, uh, you're being told right now by the Toronto Raptors, by Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, to hold on to those tickets. There will be no refunds right now for that game. Your ticket will be valid whenever that game is rescheduled, assuming it is rescheduled. And unfortunately, we're keeping our fingers crossed that that isn't the case for Saturday against the Warriors or any future games coming in the next week or two because there are rumblings, Jonesy, that things could be headed in the wrong direction. But, again, that's speculative right now. Well, it, it, would be, it would be awful to have to, you know, have any kind of a shutdown or, you know, as we just talked about, losing games. Um, it, it's tough. It's tough. But, look, we've said this before. 
the health and safety of the greater number of people is what it's all about. Right? This virus is picking up again, and we got to get it under control. Folks, if you like Smith & Jones, make sure you subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review as well. Back with more in a moment. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Subscribe to the podcast Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcasts. Some breaking news just moments ago. Uh, word has come out, Jonesy, and this impacts the Toronto Raptors tonight. More so impacting the Brooklyn Nets. Four Nets. LaMarcus Aldridge, DeAndre Bembry, Javon Carter, and James Johnson have all entered health and safety protocols and are listed as out for tonight against the Raptors. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> you know, we just talked to Chuck. Ten players from the Bulls. Now four that we know of with the Nets. Who knows what's coming next? Uh, and, you know, I just said before the break, it just feels like this thing is it's uh, it's spiraling out of control again. It, it just when... You know, we thought we had it under control. As Masai said, it's a persistent enemy. You're not gonna, you're not gonna ever beat it. It's, it's just, it's gonna be with us. Uh, it's gonna be with us. It's a matter of controlling it. And uh, right now, it just seems like the virus is winning again. And yeah, well, uh, that's I, I don't like, I don't think you I don't can like, control it. <laughs> yeah, I don't like, I don't like where we're headed unless uh, you know people start to become very vigilant and, and diligent again in in fighting it so well let, you know what uh, uh, let's let's leave that for a bit let's talk about about uh, better things about uh, the world being a better place our man mark spears joining us from uh, the undefeated and uh mark i, I loved your piece well, you, you want me to lie to the folks no, no, no. I just wanted to. I just want to talk about something a little more positive, my brother. Just, I mean, of the fact that I haven't seen you, uh, and we were right on the cusp of it, right? Like March of 2020, we had those three, four days in in the Bay Area. Eric went to Napa and got drunk, left me. It's okay. It's a good thing because I would have been. He didn't invite me. That's okay. Somebody had to push him home in a shopping cart, so they they he had lots of guys to do that. So. And 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 we got a chance to hang out for a few days and do some fun stuff, but it, it's really changed our world. But but Mark, I, I love the story you wrote yesterday uh, on Fred and Fred um, trying to level the playing field around opportunities because we know when during the midst of COVID, the George Floyd situation hit where he was murdered, and it just it seems like it too has changed the world in a different way. Yeah, I mean it's. Um, Don't lie now. What's that? <laughs> Don't lie now. Come on. No. So what's the question? Let me let me before I answer it because this could get deep. I just want to make sure I know what your question is. No, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm just I'm just talking about opportunity and and how you feel Fred is is doing his best to level the playing field. Um. First part about the George Floyd part, man. I'll just say I hope that. Uh, Everybody who felt a certain way and felt passionate and, you know, was calling black folks like myself, asking what they could do, still has that same passion today. They had the same passion for a lifetime. And it wasn't just just seasonal, you know. 
Boom. And I, I'll get off my soapbox on that. But no, Mark, it don't. Seem because like Eric, a lot of people uh, hey, wanting hey, to help people of color was a seasonal thing. But anyways, um, Fred Van Vliet is an amazing man. Um, it, I, I really like, you know, respect the fact that he felt that it was important that when he does anything and off the court, whether it's, you know, a commercial video shoot, an appearance, speaking engagement, that it is diverse, that there are people that look like him um, from top to bottom. And if such is not the case, then then he doesn't want to put his name on it and he doesn't want to be involved in it. And so I think in in a lot of ways, a lot of people with power, athletes, celebrities, you know, notable folks don't really understand that, you know, they do have this power. Um, it, it certainly takes confidence to say, like, hey, this isn't right. This needs to change. And, and I'm not going to be involved with it, and I'm willing to lose money in order for it to be uh, more diverse. And so that certainly, to me, says uh, a lot about Fred as a person. Um, just, just like an amazing, amazing basketball player. Yes. But for him to have that kind of strength as a person where diversity means more than a dollar, um, that, that really says a lot about his character. You know, Mark, I, I, I think I speak on Jonesy's behalf. I would echo those sentiments, you know, since getting to know Fred a little bit since coming into the league, what impresses me more than him as a basketball player is who he is as a person and what he stands for as a man. And and I, I used to say the same thing. Well, I shouldn't say used to. I still say the same thing about Kyle Lowry. Just don't get a chance to say it to his, to his face with him in town playing for Miami now. The maturity that I've seen in a guy like Kyle, but certainly in Fred as well since um, developing into the role as a player but then developing into that role as a, a maturing young man and as a father and the impact that children have had it's it's to me a pleasure to watch so many of these guys just grow into themselves and and I can't come up with a better word than than mature and become more uh, vocal, more responsible, more um, more more of a leader right in front of our own eyes. And and Fred's damn near the top of that list for me. Yeah, and you know, and I, and I think he learned a lot from being around Kyle. You know, I mean hell of a big brother to learn from on and off the court. And, you know, I actually recently got to talk to Kyle. I think that was the last time he, I spoke with you guys. We talked about my Kyle story. Mm-hmm. And um, he, um, you know, was doing uh, Canadian Thanksgiving, which is like real. I, I just was fascinated that an American dude was celebrating Canadian Thanksgiving and, like, making it a big deal. I thought that's like, look, I'm ingrating myself into the culture. I'm a part of this community. And so when you're Fred and you see that, like how can you not be inspired by him and how he does things? Now, Fred's road is also kind of similar to Kyle's in the fact that, you know, nobody gave him nothing. I think Kyle was drafted. Fred wasn't, right? Like I I remember, uh, you know, um, Kyle telling this funny story about – God, there was this guy in Houston. Do you remember Aaron? Aaron guard, little small guard. Aaron Brooks. He's like 
Aaron Brooks used to start over me. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, man, you come a long way, man. <laughs> and so, like, I love guys like that, especially when they hit the 10-year mark. People can say, like, you know, well, this dude wasn't a superstar because he wasn't an all-star. He didn't average a certain amount of points. Any NBA player that reaches 10 years, I don't care what they average. Like, look at Garrett Temple. I think he averaged like 6.5 points for his career. Any of them that reach, Pat, reach 10 years and get the full pension for themselves and their family for the rest of their lives and, and, and that amazing pension, you got to give respect to. So I, I like those guys, Fred and, you know, Kyle, because they really, like, got their careers out the mud, man. Like, nobody gave them anything. And, um, you know, here they are. Yeah, uh, and and that's, you know, that's earning it. And, and maybe that's why, you know, I'm guessing, but maybe that's why Fred has that attitude, Mark, that, you know what, I, I didn't have it. I'm, I made made it this far without it. If this is my time to speak up. And I, you know, uh, Earl Watson mentioned it in his uh, case with the whole Robert Sarver investigation. He says, I've been put in a position monetarily where I can speak up. I don't have to worry about anybody taking money out of my pocket. I'm okay right now. And, and I think you're seeing that same, say, I mean, when I read your article, I, I got that same kind of thing with Fred. And Nick Nurse spoke yeah. about it last night, that unless things are the way he, he wants it to be, then you don't get me. And as you said, a, a, dollar, is more, a dollar is not more important than character and, and you know, making sure that the, the playing field is as level as possible. And he also has that uh, podcast, which is, I think, like, really dope, man. Like, he didn't want to do a basketball podcast. I know he has some great stories, right? No, he has some amazing stories. And one, one day, I'm a, I'm a, when the world is a better place and perhaps when he's retired, I'm going to squeeze him for a long dinner and just like, man, tell me about this. <laughs> tell me about that. But, you know, he he's just... Like, he has a podcast where he wants to help, you know, black and indigenous uh, people of color and in a business way. Like, how creative is that? And he actually taped it over the course of three days in Toronto, was spent by the time he got to the last day, was basically spending like eight hours a day for three hours doing it. And he was telling me that he was, uh, he's actually losing his voice by the time he got to the third day. He's like, you know, I don't even want to tell you what the last interview of the 12 were because then you'll know where I, when I'll start to get fatigued, right? Uh, drank a lot of coffee and water and stuff like that. But he, he truly enjoyed um, the experience of, of doing a podcast that wasn't basketball-related and uh, with his business partner. So I thought that was really, really cool. It looks like they might re-up um, for a second and, and third season. And I, I need to to get on that podcast right now i've been um actually i got excited about this hbo show that's about to come out in the lakers in the spring so now i'm like uh listening to an audiobook on the lakers uh, showtime book uh which is quite entertaining um but i, I, I next on my agenda certainly is uh fred's podcast 
Speaking with Mark Spears from The Undefeated, and uh, you can read Mark's latest piece on Fred Van Vliet at theundefeated.com. Mark, one of the other um, parts of the story, you talked to Fred about being back in Toronto this season and just kind of reflecting upon last year in Tampa. And, and, and Jonesy, I know you said you wanted to move away from it, but, but at the risk of kind of going back to maybe where we started here, Mark, I don't know how things are going to unfold in Toronto. Um, you know, numbers are rising here as they are everywhere with, with the new variant now, with Omicron and whatever else. There's, there's speculation and chatter about whether fans, uh, you know, the, 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 the you know, attendance might be reduced or, or if they might even shut the doors to fans at some point in various arenas. Well, hey, maybe I got some news for you, too, that matters. Go for it. Go for it. Uh, Durant is questionable tonight. Run ankle sore, okay. soreness. I know you're not crying about that. No, 500 here. The Raptors come, Eric, is what we were talking about. A tough tale, tough task to get to 500. But yeah. <laughs> if they're if they're playing if they're playing against I hope the betting people made a bet a couple hours ago, they're doing well now. They took hey, the Raptors. Get, get get it in now. Get it in now before they wake up to it, maybe. But so, Mark, Mark, my question though, just kind of big picture. And again, we said the same thing to Chuck last hour when we were talking to Chuck Swirsky. None of us are doctors. None of us are pretending to be doctors. How do you think the league navigates this though? Because we went from we went from the bubble restart to a season where many cities didn't have fans and some had 50% capacity, then it was 100% capacity. We had a team playing in a different city, in a different country, and then everything's been fairly normal this year, and suddenly many people are feeling like, damn, this is kind of really kind of feeling like March 2020 again, and how does Adam Silver and the rest of pro sports react to what could be beginning to happen right now? You know, I think the way people look at it depends on where you live. And living in a you know San Francisco Bay Area, we've in terms of the states, we've taken it as serious or more serious than anybody in the country. So when I travel a lot to different places, I see you know how different it is in different places. And I was in the bubble, the NBA bubble for ninety days, and it was mm-hmm. like now thinking back, like the late Sekou Smith, who died of COVID after he left the bubble. I remember him saying we're in the safest place in the world. And now nothing's safe, man. And it's 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 scary, you know. I've not only been vaccinated, I got the booster and then, you know, but obviously people are gonna feel how they feel, but this 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 is uh, uh, I think a scary day to day thing. Where at least I think the NBA now knows how to react, right? Uh, how to pause things, how to, they have practice at it, how to, like I saw, um, until the Bulls got shut down, they gave them extra players, but ultimately it's probably for the safety of the league that they, like, shut their team down. So it, it was interesting when the, all the dates came out about when this is going to happen and, like, this was going to be a normal season. Uh, the winner's here. It definitely may not be. Things could be pushed back a little bit, you know. I I don't want to tell you guys how weird it was. Or I will tell you how weird it was to go to the All-Star game last year and be one of just a couple hundred people in the building. <laughs> it was the strangest thing ever to walk up to the to the venue three hours before the game and there's, it's a ghost town. I, I hope such isn't the case, but we just don't know, man. And 
I do think that the NBA has some good leadership, some good doctors. Dr. Leroy Sims has done an amazing job. And um, they're just going to have to really, like, tackle it day by day. But um, sadly, I I just don't think, I see an end in sight for this. I don't. And I'm not, I'm not a doctor, so what do I know? But I'm just practicing as if this is going to be life, sadly. Mark, what do you think the NBA does? Uh, they must have contingency plans. I mean, they're the Bulls, 10 players, two games have been postponed. Uh, here are the Nets now with four. Um, you know, the Knicks just had two the other day. Like, it just, it's here, there, it's everywhere. The numbers seem to be increasing, even within the NBA. Do we get to a point where we stop the season for, I don't know, a month, and then look at schedules and, and venue availabilities and, and kind of try to reschedule? Like, what what do you think they might have for a contingency plan, Mark, if this thing isn't isn't put under control? Um, um Jonesy, I don't know, man. <laughs> like it's, they, but you know, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if, like, like the only I guess saving grace is they know what to do in case things get really really bad, right? They could go. They they've done the bubble in Orlando. They've done the games with no fans. I mean, I I could see next on the agenda being games with no fans, right? Um, or at least, like, the one thing I haven't understood about the NBA is, uh, like, I, I've always felt like there should be a mask mandate no matter what. And full disclosure, I got COVID during the finals. Wow. And it happened after game two um, in Phoenix. And several people got sick there. And the thing I, I just remember my press seat was, um, and, you know, I was stuck in a hotel in Chicago afterwards for eight days. Um, I was fine. Thank God I was fine. Um, but they, you know, all the fans in Phoenix didn't have masks on. And there's a swirl of spitting, not spitting, you know what I mean, but yelling, screaming. Uh, Droplets. In the air. <laughs> and, yeah, just people that we were. We have people above us, people below us, and um, I think I might have took my mask off to eat something for like five minutes, and perhaps that was a huge mistake on my part. But I just never understood like why there just shouldn't be a mask mandate at games anyway. I, I know it's uncomfortable. I went on a flight yesterday for six hours, and by the time I got home, you know, the back of my ears hurt from wearing a mask, but. Man, it's it's just for everybody's safety, right? <laughs> it's, yeah. I don't I don't get like why it's so difficult um, to just say like when you're in you got an indoor venue with twenty thousand people in it. Why it's so hard to have people wear masks? And you know, they just I guess that's because to, to me it's. A, I've seen it. It's real. I've had it. I've had friends and family members that have passed. I can't bring them back, you know. So just simply wearing a mask when you're around other people, I think it's safe for you, safe for me, safe for everybody. It's it's a, it's not like 
somebody's asking you to slap me in the face for two hours to tell you to put a mask. You know what I mean? Like it's. Mm-hmm. I know. I know there's fatigue. I get it, but I just man, I don't want nobody else to die, man. I don't want nobody else to get sick. And ultimately, I know I'm. This is Toronto's probably think, who is this preachy dude, man? Why they got him on here this morning? I man, I just want a better world, man. <laughs> That's all. That's all, man. Like, we have one life. Enjoy it to the fullest. Be as healthy as we can. I just had a college teammate die of brain cancer, man. So, and and, and so, and got to see him before he passed. Like, I enjoy every day, every hour, every not not only enjoy the day, but just enjoy walking, being able to ride my bike, just little things that are big things, you know. So uh, we got to, like, save each other from ourselves, man, so we can have our best life. Listen, man, I I, I echo all that, Mark. And and if anybody is listening right now saying, who's this preachy dude, that's not somebody I care if they listen to the show anyways. (laughs) I want the people that are listening saying, yes, preach, or thanks for for speaking some honesty and speaking some truth because that's the reality. People might not want to like it, might not want to face it, but that's Mm -hmm. the reality right now as we try to Mm -hmm. navigate life, let alone sports. I mean, sports, this is entertainment, right? Here's the thing, too, Mark, what I don't understand, to your point about the mask thing, too, is the the NBA, basketball itself, is so accessible to the fans if for no other reason – then it's the only sport where you're on the playing surface right next to the players. You're not separated by boards in hockey or by distance on a football field or even the stands in baseball being a little bit further back. You're on the court. And if we're doing everything we can possible to test the players and keep the players safe and the coaches and everybody else, but then we're allowing a bunch of folks to pay a grand, five grand, ten grand, twenty grand for courtside seats and then whip off their mask and eat and drink and yell and scream and talk and whatever maskless, to me, it's defeating the entire purpose of all the precautions you're taking. Makes no sense to me. Yeah, no, it's um, and and I and I'll say this: I, from what I'm reading and seeing and watching, it seems like your country is taking this certainly much more serious than perhaps a lot of the places in the U.S. are. But you know, it ain't got nothing to do with politics, man. I tell people all the time. You, you got people dying in Russia, people dying in Africa. <laughs> a lot, of, a lot of people dying all over the world, man. And it ain't got nothing to do with politics. It's about scientists who definitely know what they're doing. So, hey, man, I just pray for everybody. You know? Yeah, Mark. I, I, I there's part of me that I mean, you are still uh, traveling in the mix, interacting with players, probably as much as or more than any of us. Hey, Jonesy, uh, let me stop you on that. I'm going to uh, put, put it in perspective for you. Okay. The great baseball writer, Howard Bryant. Yes. I actually went to Gary Washburn, writer from the Boston Globe's wedding, right, in Boston, flew across the country to go, All right? Bump into Howard Bryant. Haven't seen him since pre-pandemic. Legend. He's like, yeah, I've been, I haven't been on a flight yet. And I said, I hate to say this, bro, I've been on like 50 50 flights. <laughs> um, but go ahead, man, because it's just like it kind of like put everything in crazy perspective. Well, about. yeah. I mean, um, I've been since COVID started, I've been on one international flight. I went to Summer League in Vegas. 
Um, and I went to Victoria for the Olympic qualifier because I'm on the board with Canada Basketball, and I want to see our team hopefully qualify for the Olympics. Two flights. I've been on March, zero. I've been on yeah, zero. March 2020. And here's, here's two guys, Mark, as the broadcast team. We are hopping on and off flights three, four times a week sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But with you traveling and still being in contact with players, uh, and some of these guys are pretty deep, worldly thinkers. Is there one guy or are there a few guys that come to mind that are saying, hey, man, this thing is serious. It's, it's bigger than basketball. And, and I'm not talking about something like Kyrie Irving where people are trying to you know, sift through cryptic messages. Are, are there any guys out there that are really, well, feel like the way you do and we do? We want the world to be a better place and get back to the way it was. Um, Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah. Carl yeah. Anthony Towns, I got a chance to sit back with him and see him smile. And he's had definitely what um, I deem a nightmarish year and a half or so, you know, with his mom dying of COVID um, before there was a vaccine and um, several family members being afflicted and dying. And you could just see it in his eyes. He's different now. You know, um, he used to tell me that his uh, holidays ain't the same. Um, that, you know, his mom used to make a big deal about his birthday. And when his birthday came, like, he just mentally, like, checked out and forgot it was his birthday until his girlfriend um, told him. And, um, he was also saying that he just uh, doesn't, you know, like right now, it's certainly really a hard, hard time for him. Um, and he spent Thanksgiving by himself kind of just reflecting on everything. So it's, um, you know, when I when I think of perhaps an NBA player or athlete that has been affected, he, he's the first one to come to mind. And... Um, uh, I, I hope that, you know, many athletes or even just humans who hear his story or read his story or know his story just can see how, how devastating it could be to somebody. And he's just now starting to smile again, you know. Um, so, now he's a – I did a story on him recently. I definitely recommend people check it out. And uh, I think they would uh, – learn a lot from what he has to say um you can listen uh, excuse me you can read that story at the undefeated.com uh you can always listen to mark here on the fan and, and appearances on tim and friends and elsewhere in this market and, and across north america as well we didn't even talk any x's and o's and, and on the court stuff and i'm a thousand percent fine with that today mark it was a, a better conversation a bigger conversation about fred about life about uh, the world right now, and uh, we always appreciate your time, your insight, your honesty. Thanks for joining us as always, Mark. Yeah, man, prayers to my side too, man. Dang. Text yep. a little bit with my guy. I hope he's uh, feeling better. Um, and uh, I want to tell the Raptors, next time y'all have that event and I'm not invited, I'm going to have another, I'm going to have a problem. Jennifer Quinn, <laughs> let them know now. You guys keep having that event. I'm actually glad I didn't go this time, right? <laughs> yeah, you put the curse on. That's what happened for years, and no one ever gives me a heads up on it. Although, but shout out to Jennifer Quinn. She's one of the the best in the league. She really is taking care of me and. 
especially with Fred doing a diary with, diary with him in the um, bubble. So she, she's, she's amazing, man. She's one of the best. So I'm giving her a hard time right now. And also Robin, yeah, I know he's moved on to bigger things. Um, but, yeah, I miss y'all in Toronto, man. I, I, hopefully us human beings can, um, you know, figure it out and, you know, I can get back there. So. Yeah, and we, and we want to get back there, too. <laughs> for yeah. no other reason to see you and to go on a wine tour. Uh, listen, happy holidays, Mark. All the best to you and your family. All right. Take care now. Same to you. Eric, it's uh, right interesting. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, Mark is one of those guys that in our business that he's he's a friend that you don't see him for months. And when you start talking to him, it's like you've been talking every day. You know, we will mm-hmm. be in a gym and sacramento or san francisco or somewhere on the road you know denver or 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 san antonio or somewhere and the big man comes strolling in and it's like hey man what are you doing here he goes i'm doing a story on such and such it could be a guy with toronto could be a guy on the other team it could be on an official it's something to do with you know his writing and you know away you go and uh it's it it is it is a scary time like the fact that I, i mean you know, uh, somebody asked me about uh, my brother if he was in town doing the game for Sacramento last night. I said, no, he's doing it from the arena, from Golden One Center in Sacramento. And they said, well, how's he doing? I said, I don't know. I've seen him, like, for three days since the pandemic hit in 2020. And I had to go to Vegas. I mean, you know, he hasn't been to Canada to see my mom since October of 2019, just after, you know, my dad passed away and, you know, we picked out uh, a headstone and all, like he, I mean, he keeps FaceTiming and we talk on the phone and stuff like that. But other than, you know, a couple of days in Vegas, I haven't seen him in, you know, now we're, you know, we're getting close to, no, we're, you know, we're getting close to two plus years. So um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy. And I'm hoping that we all do our part, whether you believe in the vaccine or not. Just do your part to keep other people safe. Consider your fellow human being. That's all I can say.